This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. The BBC has been hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons in recent weeks, but it's under fresh fire today after the broadcast of its new documentary on Brits who have chosen not to have the COVID jab. Unvaccinated saw seven folk put in a house for five days while a flurry of so-called experts tried to diffuse their concerns about taking the injection. Presented by Professor Hannah Fry, a data-crunching mathematician who takes credit for bringing us out of the first lockdown in 2020, the show ultimately tried to get the group to change their minds and get vaccinated. But participants of the programme, which aired on BBC Two last night, have now hit out at the, quote, bias beep for crafty editing and cutting key scenes from their contributions. Here's a clip of tonight's guests, Nazarin, Veronica and Vicky Borman in action on the show. Friend Katrina, she is 28 years old. She was perfectly healthy before. She only had one dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Five days later, she was beginning to experience brain fog. Now she's had a stroke. Uh, she's had three suspected heart attacks. So this is a video of her having a seizure. Mm. How can you be sure that that was the vaccine and not something that would have happened anyway? This time, the nasty jelly bean represents the risk of getting myocarditis. This is not how we should be doing this. It makes me quite angry and quite frustrated when I'm, you know, gunning for thousands of people who have either died or been injured that I'm going to sit here and entertain jelly beans. I'm so frustrated. This is just say, the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my entire life. Many viewers have since blasted the BBC for broadcasting, quote, unbalanced propaganda. And the Daily Telegraph also let rip, calling the programme a painfully patronising documentary that was akin to Big Brother sponsored by Pfizer before giving it a paltry one star out of five. And I'm delighted now to be joined by the two leading stars of the programme, Nazarin and Vicky, who've accused the BBC of woefully misrepresenting them. So, Vicky, talk to me about how the BBC misrepresented you and, and why you feel let down by the programme. I don't know if I'd use the definite term misrepresented, but I'm terribly frustrated this morning, as I was last night. I feel let down because I went in there to tell everybody why I wasn't vaccinated. And I don't think anybody that I've spoke to this morning knows the answer to that question. And what is the answer to that question? Well, I, I think you would have had to have spent a week with me. Um, there are a lot of different reasons, which is what we try to speak to Hannah about talking about everything from statistics to things we're seeing in the papers. The list was endless, and at no point do I feel like those questions were actually addressed. And, Nazarin, when it came to your personal story, they obviously included the moment where you spoke about your friend uh, who had suffered adverse side effects. But I believe you have also lost a relative uh, to vaccine damage, and you say the BBC left that out of the programme? Yeah, there are many times where I mentioned that my great-grandma was killed by this vaccine and my other grandma had a stroke after hers. So that's not just one person that I've seen have an adverse reaction. That's three people in my circle who 
I've seen have an adverse reaction. So obviously I'm going to be a bit skeptical if I'm watching this happen in front of me. Um, but I feel that they, yeah, they, I mean, it was left out and I'm really upset that they didn't include that because it's really important and it shows that I'm not just, you know, crazy and I'm not just seeing one person and having this strong opinion because of it. It's multiple people in my close circle, so yeah. Naz isn't the only person in the house that also has friends or close family members who have either died or had different um, adverse reactions or side effects. Um, everybody had a story to tell mm -hmm. on a personal level, myself included, but yeah, they were, they were, not, they were not represented. And, and Vicky, I, I have to be honest, my impression, having sat through the documentary, is that they wanted to portray the participants as mad conspiracy theorists. I, I understand totally from watching the documentary last night why you feel like that. Um, I think... And you're not, are you? Absolutely not, no. I'm an adult who can make an informed, coerced decision about my body. Um, there was definitely a, a narrative there, and I think, you know, they picked people who had a background story which was maybe not necessary, if that makes sense to you. They could have put other very credible people in there from the health profession, doctors um, and such like, but they chose not to. And I think that always makes me sceptical is why were seven members of the public, I guess, up against um, the professionals. It, it wasn't evenly balanced in that, in that respect. So already it started off from an... It wasn't an equal play... It wasn't an equal playing ground. It started off immediately, you know, it was unfair. Mm. Everyone could see that. And ca can we talk about one of the professors uh, who featured in the documentary? Uh, because this is a scientist called Professor Adam Finn, yeah. who's at Bristol University. Uh, but what wasn't actually revealed at all in the documentaries. He is the director of Pfizer's Vaccine Centre of Excellence, which the company invested £4.6 million in. So it feels like, at the very least, the BBC should have revealed that information. I agree. I would have liked to have known that. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have had it revealed to me exactly what I was going in there to do. I, mean, I went in there to explain to everyone why we were not vaccinated, and that's not what happened. They didn't tell us that the whole point of the show would be to change our minds. Or experiment on us. Or experiment on us, and, yeah, I mean, with the professor, I mean, talk about conflict of interest, right? Like, how can you have someone and say that they're an independent researcher when they... Have received funding from Pfizer. Exactly. And, and the other thing that really <laughs> shocked me was just the complete lack of anyone actually saying, hang on a moment, uh, why would Vicky and Nazarin need to get the COVID vaccine? You are young, uh, you've quite possibly had COVID before, which would give you why? a natural immunity. There, there was no... Uh, I mean, I literally don't think the phrase natural immunity was, was mentioned once. We would have said it 100 times. Um, I think there was a time where... I think the one of the scientists who was working with in making the vaccines, he said that um, vaccine antibodies are higher than natural immunity antibodies, which is completely false. I mean, if you look at 
there are many studies which prove that that is not correct. So um, that was shocking a to watch back. A lot of the back. time we did have the professionals actually on our side. They were saying things that were not going to portray the vaccine in a positive light. So that those, those comments have just been left out. And there are many times where they couldn't answer our questions as well, which we secretly knew the answers to already. So <laughs> the fact that these experts, the top experts, could not answer our questions, it kind of says it all. Do you, do either of you regret taking part in the documentary? No. <laughs> because, Definitely not. I mean, it's just an opportunity to spread the truth, which I feel is lacking in the media at the moment. Yeah. Like, it just seems that they're very um, one-sided and focused on one particular narrative. And anything from the other side is being heavily censored or, you know, people are having their accounts taken down. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't regret it at all. No, I'm glad I went I, on. I'm glad I went on. And if anything, it's made me question even more everything, including the vaccine. Um, why couldn't we just have an open adult conversation, an actual, what I would class as a documentary on why I'm not vaccinated? Mm. Um, what was everybody so worried about? Do, do you think these sorts of documentaries and the way that they're portrayed spreads division in society? Because that's my real concern. The BBC, who claim that they want to be diverse, they actually want to treat the unvaccinated as if they're some sort of freak show. Well, that's something that we said a lot, is that actually, you know, we, we can sit down and be adults and speak to you in a, in a nice way. To have jelly beans representing people who have died, and I said there and then, thanks to editing, you won't see that, but it isn't just about the people that died from a vaccine or the people that have died from the adverse reactions. It's people that died of COVID as well. Mm. We're representing those people's lives with a jelly bean. It's just, it's patronising. So mm. if you're going to treat us like children, um, in many times you'll see that we got frustrated and walked out because I, I'm not there to be treated like a child. Sit down and treat me and act like an adult and, you know, we could have had a really good documentary. There was substance in there that I think I was just, I'm gutted that that wasn't shown. Yeah. Well, Vicky Borman and Nazar and Veronica, thank you so much for thank agreeing you. to Having speak you. out about your experience tonight. Of course, we do get both sides of the story, as you know, on GB News. So we have approached the BBC today, and this is how they responded. This one-hour documentary accurately represents the views expressed during filming and adheres to the BBC's strict editorial guidelines, especially with regards to accuracy and fairness. And a Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said all vaccines have undergone robust clinical trials and meet the UK medical regulators' strict standards of safety, effectiveness and quality. On the professor featured in the programme who works at Pfizer's vaccine centre mentioned by our guest tonight, a BBC spokesman said Professor Finn is an employee of the University of Bristol and in that capacity leads a research group within the Pfizer Vaccine Centre of Excellence. He is not a director in a corporate sense and receives no payment or benefit directly from Pfizer. His work in relation to COVID-19 vaccines is independent of Pfizer's control or direction and will be subject to peer review in the usual way. He did not lead or conduct any trials of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Welcome back. Acclaimed author Tom Bauer has made his name writing bombshell biographies about public figures, including Boris Johnson and Simon Cowell. But his latest might just be 
his most explosive yet. Revenge, Meghan, Harry and the war between the Windsors is out today and is a brilliant insider's account of the royal couple packed full of stunning revelations, including the truth about Bridesmaid Gate. Apparently, Meghan did make Kate cry during a bridesmaid fitting before the royal wedding after she made a cruel jibe about her daughter, Charlotte. Tom also reveals that the Duchess of Sussex was prone to unpredictable outbursts and that she was a diva before she even met Harry, demanding first-class flights and free accommodation for business trips. And there's plenty more insights like that, which is probably why the looming uh, release of the book overshadowed the couple's recent trip to the UN. Watch. Prince Harry, are you worried that Tom Bowers' new book is going to widen your rift with the royal family? And here it is. Revenge, I'm delighted to say Tom joins me now. Now, Tom, I'm actually very angry with you because oh. I was up until about 4 a.m. last night because I could get it at midnight and I was just completely gripped. Oh, <laughs> I was good. completely gripped. You never forgiven me yet. I've forgiven you. I am mentioned in the book, but it's all good. It's all good. And we did talk, didn't we? We, did. we did talk because I was involved a little bit in terms of Megs and all of that sort of thing. But look, there's loads of revelations. So I want to talk about some of the, the key ones. Uh, the first, uh, which was a bit of a bolt from the blue, it, it has to be said. So, you know, there's all of this talk about uh, were the royal family racist and what comments did, did they make about Meghan and Harry's unborn baby? Will you report that Camilla remarked in a conversation with Harry and Meghan, wouldn't it be funny if your child had ginger Afro hair? And Harry apparently took it well at the time, but then Meghan got into his head. So, so, so tell me, was this the comment that was well, I'm told about it's in the comment. opening? I heard it from a close insider. But Camilla just said it as, wouldn't it be fun? But this is long, long before they even got engaged. And Meghan's story on the Oprah Winfrey show was that the comment was made when she was already pregnant. And that was completely untrue. And what was scandalous was that Oprah Winfrey, unlike you, did not challenge the two of them, but which is the truth. Well, not just she didn't challenge them on At one all. thing, did and she? And so she, Meghan got away with this idea that there's a racist comment. I don't think Camilla's comment was anyway racist at all. It was just the sort of thing you say when Harry said he was deeply in love with Meghan and, you know, he imagined he might get married and she just made a, a flippant comment, as one does. It's nothing serious at all. And so I, I thought that... And the way that Meghan then used it, Huge damage to the royal family and most unfair. This all makes a lot of sense, though, doesn't it? Because, of course, Harry did not release any sort of statement about Camilla when the Queen made that very significant announcement that she will be Queen Consort upon her death. So, clearly, we because we knew about the feud, didn't we, between Kate and William and Harry, but clearly... This also signifies some sort of feud between Camilla and Meghan and Harry. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you've got to always remember that Harry and William never loved Camilla for her role in the destruction no. of their parents' no, marriage. So there was no love lost there. But I'm sure that there was a lot of um, poison uh, sown as well uh, after that. I mean, and Camilla, I think, to her credit, probably did try. And Charles was not going to let Camilla be sidelined. I mean, I think that's clear too. But these are all the undercurrents what led to Megxit and thereafter. You have also solved this great mystery over whether Kate 
or Meghan was responsible for the other one crying during this famous bridesmaid fitting. And you say it was Meghan who, who made Kate burst into tears. But the new information that you have received is it's because, and this sounds just awful, that Meghan uh, compared her goddaughter, Ivy, who I believe is the, the daughter of Jessica Mulroney, her, yeah. her former best friend before she ditched her <laughs> too. Um, she compared... Ivy against Charlotte, sort of played I'm, the two I, I'm, Well, this is very familiar territory for Meghan. She's very good at playing people off, the manipulation. That's very much what the people in Buckingham Palace complained about, that they were what they call allegedly bullying, was the playing off of people. And she did it, of course, in the Reitman's ad shoot as well, which was a great mm. saga. Well, I'm told that it, she played the children off, and that made Kate very unhappy. She built Ivy up. I mean, they're innocent children, but she never stopped. And that's part of the way that Meghan likes to control everything, the narrative, every people around her. You know, they don't do what she wants. They're ghosted and cast out. And unfortunately, that's what happened, I'm told, in that situation. Perhaps the most sensational revelation in the book was the fact that the Queen, on, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, the morning of Prince Philip's funeral expressed relief that Meghan wasn't going to be attended. I mean, that is that is huge. Uh, what does that tell you about Meghan's relationship with the royal family? Well, I think the Queen of that day, clearly under huge pressure, deeply upset and all the rest of it, and it came from an impeccable source, uh, just felt she didn't want to have Meghan diverting attention from her husband and from the ceremony and knew that if Meghan had come, that's what was going to happen. And I think that then expressed itself again in the Jubilee. I mean, what was really a remarkable story I heard was that, uh, you know, Meghan and Harry were late to get to the uh, St Paul's Cathedral deliberately so that they could make their own grand entrance. As they're walking down the aisle, they get to their seats, 9 and 10. They say, well, everyone should move up so they could be the, on the aisle itself. No, says the usher to Prince uh, Harry. No, you're to sit 9 and 10. Who told you to tell me to where to sit? Your grandmother, <laughs> says the usher, and he goes in the middle. And they really did, in the end, control it. No photographs on the next day at the Jubilee uh, meeting in Windsor Castle, all the rest. So I think they so have the controlled it. The Queen's seen through them. The Queen's seen like. through them. And I think Charles and William have encouraged her to. But I think they hope for peace. But my feeling is that Harry is now pondering whether he should take his revenge as well for having been slighted during the Jubilee reduced status. And, of course, his revenge would be in the, uh, in the book he's going to write. Meghan has had partly her revenge, not from Winfrey. But I think the only way they can monetize themselves is by more and more revenge mm. against the family, who, in the end, wished them so well and wanted them to be members of the family. Well, there's a really interesting part of the book, and this was something that I'd never read before, where you suggest quite early on Harry actually realised Meghan was very important to him too and he really wanted to make the relationship work because he had this dawning realisation that his role in the royal family was going to be fast diminished. So it wasn't just a case... I mean, clearly we know Meghan wanted the spotlight, right? We all know that and the, the book is brilliant because it goes into all of her fame-seeking attempts in London to get with the footballer Ashley Cole and all of that. But we knew a bit about this. But, but what you imply is that Harry too realised that he needed to date a celebrity in order for 
his future to be secure. And I think what's very important there is the conversations that Meghan had with her publicist uh, agent, Gina Nelthorpe Cowan, mm. both on the day that she was to meet Harry and thereafter. And it was very much Meghan saying, I'm going to get this man, I've got this man, I've got him trapped, he's now mine. And Gina saying, are you sure you know what you're doing? Do you know where this is leading? And Meghan says, no negativity, I know what I'm doing. And this is really part of the whole Meghan manhunt, the successful manhunt, <laughs> which the book describes. And that's part of a whole life. I mean, what you're not mentioning is very interesting about the first marriage to Trevor, mm. where she deliberately decides to stay in Toronto instead of being living with her husband and commuting to film in Toronto, like all the other cast. She stays there, separate life straight away. He was a safety net. Once she's got money, he's dumped in a terrible way. The same with the boyfriend, Cory Vitiello, the, the chef in Toronto, in Toronto. She uses him, all well and good, then decides he won't fulfil the needs that she has, her aspirations. Users, that's a really interesting word, because you really get the sense that Meghan doesn't have any genuine relationships with folk that, that are based on humanity. She seems to use people to climb up the ladder. Is that what you find? I think, and there's a very interesting relationship she has with the New York hotelier, John Fitzpatrick, who introduces her critically to Hillary Clinton, which changes her life completely, in the sense of politics. And that's another example. And, of course, once her father is no use to her, he's dumped too. And this poor man in Mexico can't understand why his beloved daughter has treated him like this, and all the way round. And the question, of course, is, will Harry soon be surplus to requirements? But we don't know the answer to that yet. That's still to come. I mean, Tom, when you look at the way that she's treated lots of people, when you look at the way that she's uh, really thrown her own family into the trash, when you look at the way uh, that she acted during the Vogue magazine edit and the interview with Vanity Fair, and you've got loads of new information about that, C can you really say that, that Meghan is, is a good, nice humanitarian, as she claims? No, but uh, on the other hand, she's very successful at what she wants to do. And that's what's so interesting about her. That in her own terms, she's now risen from being an unknown actress into a global star. And all she's now got to do is fight hard to stay at the top of the greasy pole. And that, of course, is a major challenge for her, as it always is for everybody. But she's, you know, she's sassy. Whether she makes it or not, we'll see. It may all come crashing down. But, you know, people who are so ambitious for power, for wealth, are they ever nice people? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. They're always scheming and manipulative. And the smile is a Richter smile. Yeah. And you've really got to be wary of that. And, and you imply, by the way, that, that she really had no intention of ever properly uh, introducing her father, Tom, Thomas, the royal family. You, you suggest oh, no. that, that she was already preparing to cut him out of her life. And he tells that story uh, emotionally and very graphically in the book. But, of course, what he says is that he couldn't understand why he was cut out. I mean, his, his wife, the mother, ex-wife, the mother, gets loads and loads of attention, and he is completely ordered to be isolated. He claims, in the book, he claims, that Doria, the, his ex-wife, cut him out for her own purposes, and Meghan went along with it. And, of course, he's very hurt by that and by the whole paparazzi thing, which forced him. I mean, the point about Meghan is it's so blatant now. We can now, through the book and everything else, mm. see the path to fame and fortune. 
Uh, and it's an ex it is an astonishing rise. The thing is, it's also the rise in all could lead, could lead to the fall. And just finally, where do you think the revenge will take them? Because the relations with the monarchy are at such uh, a low point. Is it possible that, for example, after the death of the Queen, which we obviously hope will be a long time away, but is it possible that Harry and Meghan might actually turn on the whole concept of, of the monarchy? Well, I don't think they can turn on the whole concept because then their fortune depends on being royals. But they have got their, their fortune also depends on being sensational and attacking them when they can in whatever way to make sure that they earn their money. And that is why this is unfinished business. Yes. Well, there it is. Revenge by Tom Bauer. It's a really good read. Lots of revelations out today. Meghan, Harry and the war between the Windsors. Tom Bauer, thank you so thank much. Thank you. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. There will no longer be three wishes for children at Disney World because the company has announced they will be replacing fairy godmothers with gender-neutral terms. That's right. This much-loved character from Cinderella has been given the boot for not being inclusive enough. Usually a highlight of visiting Disney World involves a trip to the salon where fairy godmothers in training give makeovers to kids aged 3 to 12 and transform them into princesses, knights and other characters. But from August, they'll have the privilege of being dressed up by a magical apprentice. And the Disney streaming blog Streaming the Magic said of the decision this way, cast members that might not identify as female can still be part of the process to dress up and style children without having to refer to themselves as a female Disney character. Well, I'm joined now by a panto legend who loves nothing more than dressing up <laughs> as a female character. Christopher <laughs> Biggins. Honestly, how sad... My mum sent me this story this morning and I literally couldn't even believe it was true because Disney is now depriving children of magic, right? It is just appalling. I mean, it makes me feel ill. I mean, I get so wrought about this. I mean, it's just... Terrifying. I mean, the next thing they'll be doing is they'll be saying, right, no man can dress up as a woman and be a dame. I'll be out of business. I mean, it is just ridiculous. <laughs> this is what people want. Fairy godmothers are marvellous creatures that have been created since beginning of time to bring love and joy to everybody, and especially children. And they're depriving children of this wonderful, wonderful person. I just think, I just can't believe it. Why, Disney, shocking news. And do you know what makes me so angry about it, uh, Biggins? They're, they're ruining the fun for everyone. Look, if, if someone doesn't want to be a fairy godmother, then they can call themselves an apprentice if they want, but you don't need to eradicate fairy godmothers altogether. No, absolutely. And, you know, Disney is such a good force for entertainment. I mean, you know, at the moment, they've got a wonderful show on at, the, at uh, Drury Lane. Uh, you know, and Disney is, is it just well, everything they do, Disney, is fantastic. And for them to do this, I don't understand it. I would like to know who it is, it's Disney, who is doing this, because they should be taken out and dealt with well, uh, you know by what? all fairy godmothers that I know. Do you know what? It's a whole load of the executives at Disney, uh, and they have gone very, very woke, and there's a lot of scandal behind it. Because, But the issue is, Christopher, I think they've got to be really careful because... What's going to be next? I mean, you, you talk about Frozen. I mean, are they going to be able to have a princess Jasmine in, in future iterations if all of their characters have to become gender neutral? You couldn't have a prince or princess at all. I mean, they've, didn't they get rid of several years ago the dwarfs? They went, didn't they? We can't have dwarfs yeah, anymore. You and you can't, you can't 
call uh, the Seven Dwarfs Seven Dwarfs anymore. Oh, you've got to issue something else. There is another word. I have no idea what those words are. I don't get, take those on. They're some yeah, sort of strange little anymore. things, aren't they? And you they, can't you know? do dwarfs and pantos anymore. No, you can't. You have to have uh, grown men on their knees with big shoes on their knees <laughs> walking around. It's quite funny, but, I mean, it's not the same, you know. It's, it's lovely to have a person. What do I call them, Carol? <laughs> a little person. <laughs> little people. But the thing is, the, the thing is, Christopher, the thing is, Christopher, seriously, though, this is going to really change the way kids experience Disney. And, and also, what I thought was so ridiculous about it, lots of little boys want to be princesses too or want to be fairy godmothers, and that's fine. No-one's trying to stop that. But stripping... Disney stripping gender out of everything, I just think, is so dangerous. I've always wanted to be a fairy godmother. <laughs> Afraid, yes. <laughs> no, I mean it is. It is the saddest thing. I mean, I, I can't, I can't comprehend how people would think like this, to to change children's imagery so much, the things that they've enjoyed and loved for years, and you know, your mother. There she is, an example of someone who's who loves that, you know, image of a fairy godmother and all those characters that Disney have created. She was, she was completely shocked, and I think it is a really slippery slope, and I think what's going to happen as well, that Disney has to be really careful not to go down the Netflix route. Because have you seen, they are literally losing millions and millions of subscribers because if you are tuned into Netflix, you know that they're trying to shove woke ideology down your throat, which is why they've done things like ditch the programme that was coming up, the very woke programme coming up by Meghan Markle. So Disney has to be careful too because they're wanting us all to sign up to their new service, Disney Plus, now. And there's a lot of folk, especially in America, who just will cancel their, their subscriptions if they think that Disney is trying to... Uh, portray a woke version of the world. And, and Disney World, you know, you go there, they're everywhere. All these wonderful characters that have been created. Are they going to get rid of all of those? Yeah. I don't think so. They'll lose a fortune. Exactly. Well, Christopher Biggins, they can't get rid of the Damon Panto, can they? Well, I, what, nothing would surprise me. I mean, because there are a few women who play pantomime dames. Looking just around this room, I can see a few. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that they, this, is, this could possibly happen, which would be a disaster, because people love to see a man, a big man, in a frock, being funny. And what does that mean for drag queens as well? Absolutely. Terrible. I mean, we've just got to stop this. We just have to stop yeah. it. Yeah. A we'll stop it. I'll wave sanity. my wand. A message of sanity. Wave your <laughs> wand and stop this madness from Disney. Christmas <laughs> Thank you so much. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.